welcome back to the First Time Films podcast. I'm joined, uh, obviously, by one of our regular panelists today, AJ Simonton. AJ, go to ask you, what is your favourite Halloween memory? Are you a fan of Halloween? Like, do you have, have you been, like, what's your sort of costume theme like usually? It's usually not scary. Yeah. Like, veering towards wholesome. Usually, like, fairies and things like that. My happiest Halloween memory is when I when I was in primary seven and I won the costume contest. What were you dressed as? As Mother Nature. And it was a handmade costume that I'd stitched myself out of a brown bed sheet and fake flowers. So I had a very special relationship with the primary school Halloween contest. Right? My, dad made, <laughs> my dad made me this homemade werewolf costume out of a rug yeah. from like carpet, right, or something, right? <laughs> that I wore... For three years in the trot, I wore it primary four, primary five, and primary six. Now, primary four and primary five, it won back to back years, which is unusual, you know, yeah. for one costume. But primary six was stretching it and I didn't win. So I was very shaken about that. You know how competitive I'd be. Yeah. So I went as the Undertaker in primary seven and won again. So I was very pleased with that. <laughs> very happy. Yeah, I was going to say Yes, I, I, my used like my sister's like eyeliner to get the Undertaker's beard because uh, <laughs> obviously King Crow facial hair at that time. <laughs> but we are joined by someone who I really wanted to bring in this month because he knows all about horror. Uh, please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Rob Jane. Rob, back for the the first time. You've been on a couple of things, Pitch Battle One uh, and the Disney uh, Disney Plus lockdown guide as well contributed to that. Um, Rob, what's your relationship been like with Halloween over the years? Oh, what man! Uh, just want to say thanks for getting us on. Ah, Hello, troops. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to kind of see past getting steaming in it. <laughs> like people, people yeah. think Halloween they think being away and then trick and treating and that, but it's really hard to just. It seemed to be the one night of the year where you could just be whoever you wanted to be and just do whatever you wanted to do within reason uh, <laughs> it's like yeah. that speech from Mean Girls where it's like Halloween's the one night a year where you get to be a slut that's what Rob's face is <laughs> yeah my one night a year I get to be a slut yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily I'm a slot 365 days of the year. So Halloween's, <laughs> Halloween's the day I'm actually wholesome. But you're right, this is why I think as you get older, masks go out of trend, you know, because oh, yeah. they just inhibit the drinking. So you yeah. don't want a mask. Because <laughs> you want a costume that's going to survive without that. Anyway, we're, we're here not to talk about Halloween, the event. We're here to talk about Halloween, the movie, but not the 1978 original because, fun fact, AJ, that was actually your first show in this podcast was uh, the first Halloween movie. That was two years ago. I don't even re- Are you sure? Yeah. I don't think I was on that, David. I think you made that up. I'm telling you, you were most definitely. It was me, you, Ian Shearer and Jack Higgins who were on I, I thought we watched that fourth film, did we? And then we just happened to do a podcast on it. I can't remember. Yeah, it was it was mental. It was like it was two years ago because I was in Boston at the oh time. Oh my god, I can't yeah. even remember two years ago. David, I can't <laughs> believe we've known each other for that long. Oh, it's, it's, it's been a long, long two years. It's been a long two years for you. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's the reboot or continuation of the Halloween franchise released in 2018, um, directed by David Gordon Green. Uh, it was written by him, Jeff Bradley, uh, and Danny McBride. Um, we were talking about this off air. It's technically the 11th installment in Halloween, <laughs> um, but only t- it only takes into account 
the original film from 1978. So if you haven't seen anything other than that, don't worry about it. And I'd argue we'll go into this in a minute. Even if you haven't seen the original, this does a really good job. Uh, as Dick Neagood said, it stars Jamie Lee Curtis, Nick Castle, um, and also a, a whole host of new people where uh, Judy Greer uh, is in it, Andy uh, Mitikak, Will Payton, and Virginia Gardner. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll play this game with everyone when we get into things. Uh, so it had a budget of 10 uh, reportedly about $10 million. So, AJ, I'll come to you first. What do you think its box office was in the end? Um, 30. Oh, Rob? I don't oh, really not know any of it. I think just because it's got the two sequels, uh, Green Letter has to be over $100 million. <laughs> I'm like 30 or not. Maybe well, it, I think because I don't care about it, maybe I'm low on it. <laughs> it actually made $255.5 million. Oh, well, I was close then. <laughs> <laughs> so, AJ, you're only the 225 out. Um, I think that's worth the price. <laughs> so, AJ, I'll come to you first, obviously, watching the original Halloween from 1978. What were your expectations going into watching this one? And how did it how did it compare with those expectations? Well, to be honest, I remember when we watched the first Halloween at uni, and I'm not really into scary films because I just feel like they're always predictable. And even though I feel like it was predictable, it was also very entertaining. And I did find myself a few like a few times being like, "Well, that took a turn I wasn't expecting," and that's what I enjoy. Yeah, Rob, were you were you feeling the same thing? I know that you're a, you're a fan of the horror genre. Uh, how did like were you rolling your eyes at the thought of an Halloween film, uh, or were you like excited for this one to come out? Uh, to be honest with you, the first time I heard about it is uh, it was kind of a dual headline with it being directed by uh, the comedians David Gordon yeah. Green and written by Danny McBride. So it was more of an intriguing thing than a than a sigh. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's one of the things. Like David Gordon Green, obviously, I think his most famous uh, film uh, that he directed was probably uh, Pineapple Express. Uh, don't think I'm wrong in saying that. Um, but you know, I was quite surprised. I can't say that I had heard of his name, value, or had recognition uh, with David Gordon Green. But I knew who Danny McBride was. I always knew him as the guy in the cowboy hat from Prometheus. Uh, so I was, <laughs> I, I was I was very excited to see uh, to hear him. he was involved because I was like, yeah, I liked him in that movie. Um, AJ, uh, obviously... Hold on, David. Hold on. As your, as your resident horror expert here, I have to remind you, it wasn't Prometheus, it was Alien... Uh, <laughs> it, it was like Alien 7 or something. Oh, <laughs> fought, Come on, David, that. get it together. I've been fact like, because I told a joke earlier about the being a three-piece band, and AJ uh, fact-checked me on that, and all. I've been fact-checked twice tonight, goddammit. We're well, just keeping it real, David, just keeping it real. I'm happy, I'm happy with that, but who else was keeping it real? That was Laurie Strode's man. Like, I like to see that Laurie Strode said a corner it. In this movie is how I would put it. You know, she went from being hunted by that movie it's the Terminator and then Michael Myers and then just becoming this this badass killing machine in the second movie. AJ, what did you think of the progression of Laurie Strode's character in this one? And do you think it's clear that Jamie Lee Curtis is having the time of her life playing this character as well? I think it's just like I think one of that character says something during it when it's like 
the victims can either like let their life be fear or they decide to like fight against it and obviously she spent the last what 40 years preparing for this moment like she wants if anyone to work to ever come after her again to like i think before in the, the first film she was felt powerless so it's like all about that she's spent her whole life like waiting for this moment so she does turn into a a huge like badass she's so cool in this film i think even though she's still scared like it's not like she's not scared anymore but she's channeled it into something else yeah and i love that and rob obviously laurie strode one of, one of the first mainstream examples of the final girl in the slasher genre that a lot of us can point back to it was it important for this movie success to make sure that jamie lee curtis and that character were integral to the story here I think uh, definitely it was important for this film to do something a bit different than uh, than the final girl, you know, like uh, the casting of Jamie Lee Curtis again, uh, recurring that role, I think is what makes Halloween 2018, what, what makes it stand out from like hundreds, if not thousands of Halloween copycat movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing about the slasher genre as well. It has been criticised like everything since uh, John, John Carpenter's uh, John Carpenter's original. I can't even speak tonight. John Carpenter's original uh, has has been copied. You know, the, the genre has become a bit stale until you reach the the likes of Scream, uh, maybe in the nineteen nineties, that maybe reinvigorated it a wee bit. But AJ, you were talking about in your initial thoughts of the movie how it was predictable but entertaining. Do you want to elaborate a bit on that, like, that feeling of it? Yeah, well, I don't really like or watch horror slasher films because I've always felt like they were not boring, but I didn't find them scary, and I felt that they were always a bit predictable. Like, the first Halloween, like, he obviously just goes through killing all our friends, and you sort of, but, like, it's all, it's not really about the act of murder. It's more like the it's all in like her head sort of thing like what's going on why is he doing it and i feel like this film delved deeper into the actual psychosis behind why he's doing what he's doing and obviously that coupled with the sort of actual murdering but there was a few turns he did like there was a few things in the film that like were different to what i was expecting which Mm. from the first film i wasn't really like i didn't see coming yeah, and you've touched on it there, AJ, going deeper into a character, a mindset, why is someone doing this? Rob, I think this was actually, it was it was that, but it wasn't at the same time, because a lot of people said that since the original Halloween, Michael Myers had been ruined by going too deep into the lore, when in actual fact, like, everyone who tries to delve deep into Michael's psyche, we have uh, his doctor and we have the podcasters, all end up with violent uh, violent deaths without really reaching their goal. Do you think that was intention- intentional on the part of the filmmakers here to say, look, you can try and understand Michael, you can try and study Michael, but at the end of the day, Michael Myers is best when he is the shape? Oh, yeah. Yeah, certainly. I, I think another thing that this film's probably doing that, that kind of folds into that is they're kind of bringing the the serial killer back. Mm. Uh, like, obviously, the height of the serial killer is the late 70s and the 80s, and uh, the last 20 years or so, it's kind of been, as far as the American Nightmare's concerned, it's probably been replaced by uh, kind of... It was kind of mentioned in the movie. Why? Why should we be scared? Five people got stabbed in nineteen seventy eight. There's much worse things happening nowadays. Yeah. 
actually. Yeah, that this movie, uh, the way that it just creates a kind of powerhouse of a Sioux color, like a stalker, is and kind of reminds you that the you do need to lock your doors and your windows at night because the boogeyman is real. Uh, I think they did that really well. And I think that's that's clear, uh, AJ, isn't it, from the very first introduction we get to Michael Myers in this movie because he is he's like we're in uh, the the mental institution um, mm. with and, and the podcasters are looking for the interview and the doctor takes them out and we see a number of people in the yard and the podcasters are trying to get him to talk, trying to get him to say something, and eventually pull the mask out of the bag and everyone starts going mental the dogs start barking everyone's just going about 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 radio rental and the, the whole place you know um and there's this the music heightens there's this era that's something supernatural about and what did you think about that scene as a whole do you think it was an effective way to start off this movie and reintroduce people to michael yeah i think it sort of like emphasize that he's just standing there doing nothing but everyone else is scared so you get like this idea that everyone knows that he has something about him that he's not doing anything he's not even saying anything he's not even facing the camera but everyone's shitting themselves and i think <laughs> that just emphasized right at the start of the film like like why we should be scared do you know what i mean because yeah he like does go through killing people and it feels like oh like it's just a normal horror film but you know that there's something else like that maybe it's supernatural maybe it's something else but he has this like incredible power of fear over you as the watcher and also over people in the film mm-hmm. yeah and uh, actually i love i love that thing about michael in this film how he is the same michael we saw back in 1978 rob a lot of the things about these slasher movies people go to them for the kills they go for the films like what was your favorite uh, killing uh, that michael did in this movie oh man that's a hell of a question uh just before I answer that, I just want to mention. Uh, see the original, the guy that originally played Michael Myers. Yeah, he had a he had a very small cameo as Michael in this film. Uh, you know the scene where uh, Laurie sees him in the mirror. Yeah, and he does the head tilt, the same head tilt that Michael did in the first movie when he stabbed the guy at the wall. Yeah. So obviously wasn't uh, wasn't able enough to to do all the, the running around and stuff, but I thought uh, that that scene was really cool, just getting him back yeah. to do that one scene. Uh, but as far as my favourite kill, I mean, I'm not someone that really subscribes to favourite kills. Uh, I know I'm a horror guy, <laughs> so that may be a bit, <laughs> di- bit disappointing. Uh, but uh, the thing that really jumped out of this movie was to me is just how quick and sort of uh, opportunistic uh Michael Myers was he wasn't hunting down his niece or his sister or his he was just going door to door anyone that was alone and was in a position of uh, sort of insecurity he was taking advantage of that Uh, I thought that was really impressive that's actually it brings me to because I wouldn't actually agree with you saying it's your favorite kills a bit it's a bit morose, you know what I mean? Because they're like, oh, what was my favourite thing of watching someone die? You know what I mean? But at the same time, there was one that raised a lot of questions for me because, Rob, I'm the same as you. I'm, I think of Michael Myers as his merciless killing machine. He doesn't really care, like, who he kills, who he takes out. But AJ, we see him, he goes, it's a really good shot. He goes into the house, he, he picks up the hammer, and he kills the mother. Yeah. And then it cuts to the baby crying in the cot. 
and Michael looks at the baby and then just immediately walks out the house. Like, was that, was that crazy in thinking in that moment that the, the filmmakers were trying to tell us he does have some sort of moral code in there somewhere? I think I that, yeah, I think that that was leading to obviously maybe the next sequel where we find out maybe something happened deep in his childhood or something. But I think it was trying to give him a slight humanity, which I, I found confusing because obviously you want to think of, think of him as this pure evil that the film talks about. Mm. But then, because I was half expecting him to just like smash the baby up. Yeah, well, that that's what I was thinking, Rob. Where do you stand at that moment? I know it's cherry picking a very small moment from the movie but to me every time i've watched this film like i i just can't answer that question do you have any any thoughts on that uh the one question i'd have for you is have you have you seen uh, rob zombies halloween remake i haven't seen it i, no, have I haven't not. seen the remake no so uh, if you're uh sorry if you've seen any of rob's own zombies work you know there's very grimy and ott and like for me the producers or the writers in that moment were basically saying Rob Zombie would have killed this baby. Right. That we don't go that far. We'll, we'll strangle a kid who just really loves to dance. Yeah. Oh no, that was a shame. We, we will not kill a baby. Uh, yeah, for me, I, it was a wee bit muddled. I, I don't know. I, I don't like thinking that, that Michael Myers wouldn't take that opportunity. For me, he's just an opportunistic killer. Uh, for right. me, that was maybe a wee bit of studio influence there. I actually, I kind of like your take on it there because we've seen other parts of this movie are very meta. Like, we have the friend asking, like, wait, didn't he try and kill his sister? Uh, and then it's like, no, that's something people made up, like making fun of Halloween 2 uh, and the other sequels. Like, so they're not afraid to go there. They're not afraid to take that route. So I actually, I'm fairly convinced, actually, Rob, when you brought that up about that interpretation of it, saying, like, yeah, this is something that would have been done earlier, but we're not going to do that and move it on. That's, a, that's that's pretty good. I like that. But... And, and it's such a it's such a crowd-pleasing kind of script, though, isn't it? It's like the, the movie's just full of, like, it, it's got a hell of a pace. Mm-hmm. It's got all the kills that all the horror fans want, and it's got all the comedy and, like, sweet moments that, like, a general audience is going to like as well. So it's just, like, a kind of crowd-pleasing film. And it felt like they wouldn't do it. I have to back that up because Mm -hmm. I went to see this for the first time, Regal Cinema, uh, a stone throw away from Fenway Park in Boston, and I was slushed, I'm not going to lie to you. I was (laughs) fucking steaming uh, when I went into this movie. And I was was like, what's his face when he saw Rise of the Skywalker for the first time? I I was cheering, I was crying, I was fist pumping the air. Like, I had had too good a time. (laughs) watching this movie the first time it came out so I was actually afraid uh, to go back and revisit again because I was like I'm never (laughs) going to get that experience I had and I'll tell you something I I agree wholeheartedly with what you are saying this is a crowd pleaser I couldn't stop enjoying this like like everything about it I was just like like the horror genre is is fantastic at times it can put some really good but this to me is just like a really good cheeseburger like a really great <laughs> cheeseburger, you know, where it's just like, I wanted a cheeseburger and this cheeseburger has exceeded every expectation that I ever had of it, you know. So I, I really dig what you're saying here. But I want to get into more plot specific elements of it, because obviously we've talked about Laurie Strode's return, but it really does focus on her granddaughter, Alison, in this and her story. And she sort of takes on the traditional 
final girl archetypes. There's slight things they do to inverse it, obviously. They make it clear that she's playing, uh, when they go with Bonnie and Clyde, her and her boyfriend to the dance, she's Clyde, her boyfriend is Bonnie. So I'm maybe hinting that there's there's different roles and uh, stereotypes that are going to be mm-hmm. uh, transgressed here. AJ, what did you think of Alison? Was she just an hour? run-of-the-mill final girl or did you think there was more interesting parts about her character than that? I think she was like a modern take on the final girl. I think she was a lot stronger. Like she was fighting back like a final girl would but I think see at the end where she's like she grabs the knife Mm -hmm. and I think that really was like the pinnacle of her character. Like she is the final girl but she takes it that extra step because I think she's obviously got that knowledge in her head that this has happened to her grandmother. She knows that you need to just like keep fighting, like because there's no nobody's gonna save you. I think she knows that the final girl like thinks the whole time, oh I hope someone comes helps me, someone comes helps me. But she knows when she saw Michael that there, nobody's gonna come save her. She had to save herself. And I think that's what the difference was. Rob, would you agree with Fiji on that? Were you were you a fan of the interpretation of Alison here? Uh. Generally, yes. Uh, although, if you're talking mainly about the plot, I thought that the real hook was going to be uh, Judy Greer's character, uh, Laurie's daughter. And Laurie, I thought that was the really interesting thing. And I thought that uh, Alison was maybe just a wee bit superfluous mm-hmm. for me. Uh, mm-hmm. But but she did come across quite a strong character. And obviously, her gripping the knife at the end is like a little nod and a wink to what might happen in the sequels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm glad you brought it up, Rob, because Judy Greer is Karen here, right, is so, so well done. So well done because you expect her to be, I didn't expect Judy Greer to survive this movie. From the <laughs> yeah. Right, because I'm thinking she's the annoying mother. She's the daughter who doesn't understand. Uh, she's going to get her comeuppance in the end, essentially. But it's that moment, right, where she's in the basement and she's crying out, like, I can't do this, Mom, I can't do this. Yeah, it's just that to, bit was oh, good. She lures Michael in and then she's like, got you. I was like, yes, yes. You know what, really you know what the best moment, uh, the best uh, specific thing about that was? The whole yeah. time in the basement, she's wearing a Christmas jumper. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. It's what an, so good, man. What a neat little uh, thing you have your character. A character obviously hates Halloween and just wants to get to the good uh, family-friendly stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so, like, I could talk, like, like I agree with what you're saying. Alison, she is a bit superfluous. It, the bits with Alison are the bits where it feels mostly like a run-of-the-mill slasher movie. Uh, and I get why they have to have that through line in there, because, like you say, there's audience expectations going into a slasher. But Judy Greer, man, that character arc and that turn, I'm just like, yes, like all here for that. I was all here <laughs> for that. Uh, one of the other turns that happened in it, uh, we had uh, Dr. Sartain, um, who was a student of Dr. Loomis. Like, they actually make a point of saying it's like in uh, Force Awakens, like it's a second Death Star. Like, you know, like Laurie's like, ah, you're the new Loomis. Like, it's just like, yeah, he's going to be the new doctor, tell you the medical stuff about Michael, maybe a few impressive. Uh, European sounding monologues, you know, but then AJ, we get that bit where the t- he turns, you know, he, yeah. he kills, he kills Will Patton, uh, who I was very upset to see that happen because I love him in Armageddon, and I, I'm just like that man's got a son, 
That man's got a son he got to. He <laughs> saved the world as an oil driller. How dare you? How fucking dare you? Um, and then he puts, he comes up and you see the shot of, she's looking out the, the, the car window and he puts on the mask. Were you expecting that turn for Dr. Sardine? Did they telegraph it too much or was that a surprise for you? I think it wasn't a surprise, but I thought he was going to just want to keep him alive, not that he would kill for him. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. like, at the start, he's like, um, like Michael's my life's work. I studied under Dr. Loomis. And you're like, okay, like I get it. You want to, you want to fully understand like the mind of the serial killer, but I didn't think he would go as, as far as to like kill off anyone in his way and put someone else in harm's way just to, to save him. Yeah. And then but maybe he understands that he can't be killed and that's why there's no point in trying. Yeah, Rob, what did you think about uh, Dr. Sartain's uh, depiction uh, in this film? Do you agree with AJ uh, or did you have a different take on it? I think uh, I think Dr. Sartain's sort of twist would have been fine uh, if it had a better payoff. Mm. Uh, it was really just a kind of a way to get Laurie from point A to point B, and it was quite cheap. It was quite cheap, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually think it would have been better had Michael actually not better, but it'd be interesting if Michael had died at that moment, like actually died from being run over, and your villain for the third act of the movie was Doctor Sartine wearing Michael's mask. You know, that, that would have been different. Yeah, that would have been fine. That would have been that would have been like a, a real twist. And I agree with you. I, I think it's one of those things where. His motivations were a bit stringy, a bit weak, but at the same time, he was quite scary. See, when he pulls out that scalpel and goes and goes to town on on poor Hawkins, yeah. I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> but but I've, I've got a joke for you. Yeah. What was the last thing to go through Doctor Sartain's mind? <laughs> Rob, what was the last thing to go through Doctor Sartain's mind? Michael Myers' boot. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. That was that was both. My favourite and least favourite moment of that movie when he's oh I hated it. So nasty. (laughs) That's what you get when you have a big watermelon head. Mate, that's what I was saying. I was like, I've 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 filmed a shot like that. That's a watermelon. (laughs) I know what it looks like. That's a fucking watermelon. (laughs) Like I was like, oh my god. Um, But I loved it. Like at the same time, I was just like, yes, it's it's the grandiose uh, violence they come for. I, I, we actually didn't talk about my favourite moment in the movie because obviously one of the iconic things about the first one is when Laurie pushes Michael out the window, he's lying on the ground and then she looks away and looks back and he's no longer there. See when they reverse that, when it's Michael who pushes Laurie out the window and he looks back and she's not there and I was like, oh my God, they've actually done this. Like, that's so cool. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm just going to be open about it. I actually really fucking love this movie and we'll watch it over and over again. I, I could see myself watching this every Halloween. I'm that high on it because it's not, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's the fucking Citizen Kane of the horror genre, you know what I mean? But at the same time, like I say, it's something I could see myself easily going back to. But with all slashers, there are characters that are meant to be highly unlikable and highly despicable and who we want to see meet their maker. Uh, Rob, what character in this movie uh, was the the most annoying or irritating for you? Uh, The guy that goes on about the Vietnamese sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) What? That's what I was expecting. Am I I allowed to swear? Am I allowed to swear? 
Yeah, it's go. too late. All <laughs> He's a fucking prick, isn't he? I was <laughs> <laughs> just trying to, you know, he bought he bought his palace language. To be fair to him, oh, you know what I mean? No, that that was that was too much. That, <laughs> He ends up with his, uh, his head carved out like a pumpkin, which was quite cool, actually. That might be my favourite kill, after all. <laughs> I love how Michael had the time for arts and crafts. Yeah. Uh, all all cops are got... pumpkins. Well, he's been waiting 40 years. He's been practising. <laughs> Is that what he's been thinking? He's just like, oh, like, <laughs> somehow, I don't know why I imagine Michael's internal monologue sounded like Nathan Lane. But he's just inside. He's like, "Oh my god!" And then I'll make a pumpkin head. And it'll be in the car. And it'll be really cool. <laughs> like, I don't know. This is making me chuckle. Uh, AJ, did you have a character who wasn't Vietnamese sandwich man who you found really <laughs> unlikable in this movie? Uh, the boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, Cameron. Could, I think it is. Yeah. To be honest, uh, I was like sort of rooting for him because the parents were slagging his family off. But see, when they argued and. He threw her phone into the whatever it was. I was like, do you know what? That's toxic behaviour. That's a pink flag. Yeah, it's a massive red flag. He's not seen after that, is he? He doesn't die. Like, so I'm thinking he should die in the sequel, <laughs> unless he, he has should. like a unless he has a what's his name from Stranger Things character arc and ends up becoming a hero. You know what I mean? But they can't all be Steve. You know, they can't all be Steve's. <laughs> so. Um, I'm just gonna. I don't think he should be a Steve. I think he should die. I'm advocating for it. Uh, I hated. I hated his pal. Like despised his pal with a burning passion. Anytime he showed up, I think it was Oscar. Uh, was his name? But see when he see when he's in the yard, and he's just like he thinks Michael's the neighbour, and then he's eventually on the fence and stuff like that. And I was just <laughs> like, that was very satisfying. Very satisfying. <laughs> I did feel sorry for Vicky. Uh, like her best friend, the babysitter. Oh, that like, was actually my. Vicky, Vicky was cool, man. You could tell she was a good babysitter and all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's just trying to make her way. Yeah, she had her problems, you know. She was uh, inviting pals over when she shouldn't have. But that, she didn't deserve to die for that, man. I was just a bit like, oh. But anyway, talking, going from despicable characters to something that had to come back. Rob, you were telling me about how you actually went to see John Carpenter. Uh, when this movie came out um, in concert, what did you think about the use of his music uh, in this film? Oh yeah, yeah, I loved it. I mean, he he, and he I think it's his son uh, wrote the the soundtrack for it, and uh, there's just something about you know when the uh, it repeats the the famous Halloween theme, and then there's the guitar. Yeah, the lead the lead guitar just comes in, and it it really. Uh, just does something to me. I, I love the Halloween theme. I, I could dance to it for hours. Yeah, I uh, think it's Daniel Davies who does the guitar um, because he worked with Carpenter on uh, like the albums that he released and he's also the son of the guitarist from The Kinks. So there's a wee bit of trivia, guitar mm. trivia for you there. Cool. Yeah. Uh, AJ, what did you think about the soundtrack? Were you a fan? I think it was good. I think sometimes slasher films tend to overdo it but it was understated but still made me scared at the right bits I enjoyed it 
Nice, nice. Um, yeah, very, very fun. And it leads us on to, obviously, we have a sequel scheduled called Halloween Kills. Uh, two sequels have been scheduled, Halloween Kills, which comes out next year. Oh, my God, I can't wait. Let's do, like, a first-time films, like, team trip to the cinema when it's real <laughs> to talk and see it together and we'll all get drunk again and I'll have such a good time. Uh, and then Halloween ends the, the year following year after. Uh, AJ, what did you think of the Halloween Kills uh, teaser that we got? I think all catharsis uh, that I had after the end of the film we watched was ruined watching that teaser. <laughs> I genuinely thought that that was going to be it. And then see when she's in the teaser where she's like, no, let him burn, let him burn. I'm like, who's going to, like, give this woman a break. <laughs> <laughs> give her a break. She's, she's, like, <laughs> she's legit spent 40 years turning our house into a, a booby-trapped house of horror to catch the man that terrorised her when she was a teenager. And then she finally does it. And then that's when the authorities and the fire are they having a laugh where where were they when all these murders are happening the the first time and the second time and also in all the sequels they're nowhere to be seen but the minute there's a fire they're like oh my god I don't know Rob do you did you share AJ's passionate feelings about that yeah I cannot add anything else to that AJ summed it up perfectly (laughs) It's just like, at this point, I'm, I'm just praying for divine intervention at this point. Poor I woman. think she's going to take her own advice and go to Mexico. I think she's going to be like, Judy, I think she needs to. Judy, you're your granddaughter. It's been a pleasure, but like, I've had enough of this shit. I think it's she Michael needs to just one. like move, move to the Bahamas or something. <laughs> Yeah. Hopefully like, it doesn't like nice weather. If Michael wants to kill me, he can do it on the IDFA strip. But I think exactly. that's what <laughs> Why this is what I don't understand though. Why would you stay in the same town if you know he keeps on coming back? That was her biggest fault. Why did you make her booby trapped out in the same but then again she she was waiting for him, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've answered my own question there. She's a yeah. fool. There's always, she's a classic fool. There's always things you can poke in these things. I just like, I hated seeing her. I'm so upset as well. It's her hopelessness when she delivers that dying line, let him burn. Like how upset she is. And I'm just like, don't, like you I said, know. this poor woman. But um, anyway, um, scores out of 10. Uh, uh, Rob, I'll come to you first. What would you give this movie out of 10? Uh, I'd give it about a, a 6 out of 10, which is a healthy score for me. Fair enough, fair enough. It's all, it's all relative, AJ. I'd say seven, because I don't usually like these kind of films and I liked it, but I still think the original is better. I would give it a full pint of beer, which is what I will be drinking the next time I go <laughs> watch this film in the cinema. And then another one, and then another one. I cannot wait. It'll be so good. Um, but anyway, we do have... I wanted to actually refer you to this because we've got Rob on, who's, who's very educated in this genre, Rob, I'm looking at Collider's list of, of best slasher movies of the the twenty the twenty first century. So we have some interesting choices on here. We have uh, the Strangers. We have Scream Four, The Final Girls, uh, the two thousand and nine Friday the Thirteenth, Happy Death Day, all on here. Uh, just to talk about the genre more generally, what do you think makes a great slasher movie, and what are some of your favourites uh, from the twenty first century? Oh wow, that's that's. Very cool. Thanks for giving me enough time to prepare an answer. I could be here for, I could be here for like an hour. Because I will have no answers. <laughs> I know nothing. Uh, the one that jumped out to me there that you that's on that list is Final Girls. Uh, that's one that kind of 
is a very has a very sweet hook. It's kind of like a girl goes back in time to her a film that her mother starred in as a final girl. And she, her mother's passed away, and basically this is her reconnecting, uh, and it has a lot of heart, uh, and it has a lot of sort of eighty. It takes the takes the piss out of the sort of horror genre a wee bit, but in the right kind of way. Uh, I I think Final Girls is very underrated. I would recommend that one. Yeah. Uh, what makes a good slasher? There's so many different people that are going to say something but at the end of the day it's really about having that kind of psychopathic serial killer it has to be it kind of has to be the kills doesn't it like yeah there's no getting away from it you have to be inventive you have to have characters that your audiences are going to give a shit about but not to the point where they're going to be heartbroken when they get a pitchfork through the head or whatever (laughs) (laughs) that that is such a fucking evil laugh you have there man I think it's all about them I I can't get away from the fact I love it Um, I have have to agree with you the one that sticks out for me though is I'm a sucker for the Happy Death Day movies man like and I know like it's Blumhouse again I don't know how they do it to me man like they keep giving me like these if this is a great burger you know, that's a, that's a 20 box of chicken nuggets, the Happy Death Day movies, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I know it's not good for me. Like, I know that. But at the same time, I, I get great love out of them. Uh, I actually, we talked about this a news story a couple of weeks ago, but Rob, what's your thoughts, Scream 5 uh, coming out? Are you are you, are you yay or nay for that? Uh, to be honest, I'm probably a nay. Uh, I know they're bringing back Neve Campbell, and it's always cool to see uh, her She's one of my favourites in the 90s, but yeah, uh, they're, they're probably at the point they could just do a reboot, to be honest. Oh, Rob. Oh, we might, we might fall out now. Not with <laughs> as long as Courtney Cox is still alive, Gail Weathers will be a part of these movies, Rob. All right. <laughs> campaign to the death for that to happen. All right. And if, I don't, if I don't get David Arquette competing in a death match... <laughs> In this movie, I'll be very upset. I'll send what? videos to people who don't understand that reference. <laughs> my, my question to you on uh, Screen 5 would be, like, what are they going to riff on? Like, the, the reason that the first movie and then maybe the second movie were so, like, that they resonated so well is because there was a real culture of slasher movies coming out every year. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm trying to think of what slasher movies came out even in the last 10 years that I would recommend. I think the only one is... Uh, a remake. It's uh, Elijah Wood Maniac. Uh, it's a fantastic. It's terrifying. Don't watch it if you don't like gore. <laughs> uh, but it's amazing. It's great to see Elijah Wood do something so different. But I'm trying to think. And yeah, Happy Death Day was cool. Uh, I don't know. It, it just feels like the horror culture has kind of moved on. We had the Cabin in the Woods. That was kind of like the final chapter of all that horror from the previous century. And now we're on to different things, hopefully. Yeah, we're on to this. Some some people have called it new horror. Uh, I don't like I don't like calling it that because to me it screams this sort of uh, like anything that came before wasn't as good because I, I I disagree. They do different things, you know what I mean? But you've, you're in the era of hereditary, like you see, in the era of the, like the witch and stuff like that. Um, as to what Scream Five can riff on, it's hard because Scream Four riffed on the sort of reboot culture in it and the continuation the past and the torch um so they've already done that but what i could see them doing is riffing on like the likes of like what halloween did here and maybe we get neve campbell's character 
like sort of toughen it up, you know, training <laughs> montage, you know, like she's she's setting a trap. She's just like, listen, there's been fucking seven ghost face so far. I'm pretty <laughs> sure there'll be another fucking one. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think they could do something like that. Like, maybe she's just went a bit radio rental as well. And, and she's like, there will be another ghost face. And it turns out to be her or something like that. I don't know. There's there's things they could do. I'm, I, like I said, I like these these slasher movies like Scream and Halloween. Like, they really do it for me. They give me that entertainment because I don't like to be too scared, you know, and these these ride the line. But we do have a couple of news stories to get into. We've talked about the wicked Michael Myers. Let's talk about Wicked, the movie musical. Um they are doing <laughs> <laughs> that, that transition, David. What a segue. I, I can't well practiced, AJ. Like we said, two years, mate. Two years we've been in this game. <laughs> I'm ready to go. And a long basically Stephen Daltrey. Uh, was meant to uh, direct this film. Um, he had signed on for it, was was more than ready to do it. Um, he's best known, he's he received three Academy Award nominations for his director for Billy Elliot, The Hours and The Reader. However, that is no longer the case. And like, uh, I'm blaming the pandemic for most things going wrong in my life right now. <laughs> the studio too have blamed the pandemic for this. Um, Deadline broke the news reporting his exit was friendly, it was amicable, uh, and simply because he wanted to shoot the film in London. Um, but Universal want this movie out at a very specific timetable. Uh, so they've said, no, we can't shoot it in London. We're going to have to shoot it in the uh, stateside. Um, so we're going to have to find a new director. Um, AJ, what's your thoughts on the Wicked musical in general? And who do you think can maybe fill uh, Stephen Daltrey's shoes? Uh, is there any names that come to mind? I have no names because I don't like movie musicals. I've said it. <laughs> I don't like them. Uh, I love musicals. You know me. Classically yeah. trained. Went to theatre school all that. Love it. I just don't think it needs to be made into a film. That's it. Fair. I think Fair. if people if people, if people people want the... And, and I say this though, but I love hairspray, so I'm a hypocrite. But uh, <laughs> if, if people want the experience, they should just go to the theatre. Fair. Just to keep it positive, what's the best song from Wicked? For Good. Oh. 100%. For Good. Cathartic duo of my life. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. Well, we should do it after this show. Uh, after all the technical issues we've had over the past <laughs> you know, Just to, to get that catharsis out there. Uh, Rob... Rob, I don't know if um, if you have the, the same opinions as AJ on Wicked. Did you know a Wicked movie musical was coming? Do you give a fuck? Is the question I ask. <laughs> I mean, it could be good. I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't know till I watched it. I watched Cats, and uh, as painful as painful as it was, those tunes stuck in my mind for like you know weeks afterwards. Cats <laughs> is the exact reason. Why I don't think that it, <laughs> it just didn't make sense, did it? it just here's, what, here's what I'm thinking. Tom Hooper is a good director. Give him an hour shot. Catch clearly, <laughs> clearly something went wrong. Clearly something was, 
But to, to be Get fair, Cats wasn't a very good musical to start. <laughs> I'm thinking, imagine they announced Tom Hooper after Cats as the director of this. Like, people would be, it would be like, what's her face was like the witch. Like, that would be Universal Studios. <laughs> like, the mob would be there with their pitchforks and their flames. Yeah. Like, ready to go out, whoever made that decision. Um, another creature that people might want to gut out with pitchforks and flames is not an ogre, but a dragon. And Disney's next film involves a dragon. <laughs> These segues are getting worse. <laughs> uh, Disney's Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, the trailer for that will debut uh, tomorrow. Um, oh, the lead character of Raya is uh, voiced by Kelly Marie Tran, um, who I think I know her mostly from. She played Rose in. Uh, Star Wars, uh, The Last Jedi, more prominently uh, than Rise of Skywalker, which I think was a sin because uh, she's very good. Uh, Aquafina will also be in the movie uh, as well. It, it sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty inventive. It's meant to be released in, in March 2021. Uh, the question I'll ask to you, Rob, um, will this depend on, obviously we've seen Soul from Disney, uh, Pixar being moved to Disney+. Plus. If that does the business on Disney Plus for the company, do you think that we could see Raya and the Last Dragon move a similar way? Yeah, they, they did a similar thing with Mulan, didn't they? And they made a, a shitload of money off of that. So uh, it might be a general shift of where we're going to go this century. Uh, TVs and sound systems have got a lot better. Do people, do, do the cinemas belong in people's uh, pastimes anymore? It's kind of a tough one. I, I'd hate to see it, but it's undeniable that it seems to be all shifting online now. Yeah, it's hard. And it, it's, it's, it's a strange situation because with Mulan, I think it was the first month you had to pay $30 for it. And anyone who knows me knows that that was just not something that I was going to fucking do. Right, I was like, I was like, I'm not parting with that cash, Disney. Like, go to go to hell. Uh, but Soul, which is the Disney Pixar one, uh, which was made for like a healthy budget, it will be in the hundred millions because it's a Pixar animated film, is like free of charge uh, at Christmas time at Disney Plus. They're just putting it on there, so I think they're banking on getting more subscribers for that. From what I can gather, I think Disney earned close to three hundred million dollars a month from subscribers to disney plus um but that's my math and i am going to teach english so please do not take that as, as gospel. <laughs> um, but aj that's that's the question like would you prefer to see ryan the last dragon in cinemas or, or do you agree with rob like this is just something that's going to become a shit uh, going forward cinema i think mm-hmm. i've still got a vhs player i'm stuck in the past <laughs> I would like to see it come out of VHS. <laughs> but, yes. um, but yeah, I'm really excited. This is probably one of the only Disney films that I've been excited for in a while, apart from Mulan. And then we were boycotting Mulan. Can't remember what for, but we were. So I've not seen Mulan yet. <laughs> I love that, I love that line. <laughs> we were boycotting Mulan. I, I know. I, I love Mulan. Mulan's my favourite Disney princess. I have a Mulan blanket, but I've not seen the new film because apparently we're boycotting it. I can't remember what it was for. I think it was maybe because, like, I don't know, the producer was... I think was it was the problems they shot in or something like that. Yeah, the... there was some there was some ethical problem with it, so I've not seen it. Does that boycott um, include the new version of Reflection that uh, Christina herself has recorded? Because that is a banger. 
yeah, I don't think I'll be doing that. I'll just be boycotting the film. But um, I'm really excited. Dragons are my favourite thing. Anything with the word dragon in it, I'm excited about. And this looks really good. Love Aquafina. She plays a dragon. I'm loving, I'm loving for it. Loving for it. I'm really excited. I, I want it to be in the cinema. If it's on Disney+, Plus, I won't watch it because I don't have it. Oh, that's the thing. <laughs> Disney Plus is one of those things like I can't bring myself to get rid of. Because I'm like... You can't get rid of it. When the Marvel shows come on there, I will be watching Mandalorian season two's at the end of the month. Um, like, there's too many things up, you know, up and coming. While as right now, I can honestly say I haven't watched it in like a month, so it's one of those ones. It's like mm, yeah. I don't know. The mouse just keeps me hanging on. But anyway, it brings us to the end of today. Um, AJ, a pleasure to get you back on after all the technical uh, <laughs> issues with uh, the Spirited Away. Episodes, Do you know what? I'm a I'm a great podcast member when I'm allowed to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> Next month, I promise I'll keep you away from uh, Jack. All right, for the wee bit, so you don't have to to go through that all again. Um, Rob, a, a pleasure to have you on, man. It's been it's been great. Have you got anything that you would like to plug or, or say to people to go and check out just now? Uh, first of all, pleasure's all mine, David. Thanks very much. Uh, you can keep up with my horror movie watching letterbox.com forward slash colour Bob. That's Bob with two Bs in it. Uh, and also I have a horror movie coming out hopefully at the end of this month, the end of October, mm. maybe November. It's called Sleep Debt. So hit your search engines and Facebooks and Instagrams for that because all the social media will be getting set up imminently. And I can uh, promise that we will share that uh, those details on our social media for you. Make it that easier for all of you out there to get access to that. So, Rob, let me know when that's out. We'll, we'll get sharing that, get retweeting it. But it's, it's a pleasure, team. Uh, next time, it's the show that will make you not want to go back in the water as Ian Shearer. Uh, takes a look at Steven Spielberg's Jaws. That'll be fun. Show I've wanted to do for a long time. So that'll be good. Uh, until then, it's uh, from me. It's goodbye, and from my panel, it's see you later. Cheerio, take care, guys.